You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph. It is Tuesday, September 5th, and you know, it's been a while. I hope you all had a great long weekend, but it's officially 49ers game week. Joining me today to talk about the state of the 49ers heading into this 2023 season is the great Matt Barrows of The Athletic. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing well, Steph. Thank you for having me on, and I apologize for being uh, unfashionably late. This is <laughs> about an hour later than we had agreed upon. Um, so uh, better late than never. But uh, right. again, uh, all apologies. Not very professional to be 60 minutes late for a show. Yeah, I, I appreciate you joining me today, Matt, on your day off. You know, the 49ers are off today, too, after a light session yesterday. And they're now just days away from flying out to Pittsburgh. And, you know, normally I think us fans would be looking more forward to week one. And we are. I think we're all excited. Don't get me wrong. But Nick Bosa still has not signed an extension. And as a result, is still holding out. There's been a lot of, you know, reports being flown around. Albert Breer, Ian Rappaport, I think just yesterday said um, he doesn't expect Nick Bosa to be on the field for week one unless there is a, quote, significant breakthrough in negotiations. And both Breer and Rappaport cited Aaron Donald's contract in particular, the average per year, which sits at about $31.7 million. And so all signs point to Bosa wanting more than that. I can't imagine Nick Bosa and his agent moving off of that number, and they seem to have plenty of leverage to stay firm in that. The 49ers are preparing for week one. They're in this win-now mode. The urgency is all on the 49ers, I think, to get this done. Help me out here, Matt. Like, I'm trying to find any leverage for the 49ers right now, and I don't know if they have too much. No, um, you know, and I, I don't really know what the sticking point is, but I can't imagine that the 49ers can say, we're going to pay you more than TJ Watt, but we're not going to pay you more than Aaron Donald. I mean, and and I get the logic there that, you know, Watt is an edge rusher, so is Bosa. Um, but uh, the year that he had, what he's meant to this team, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I don't think they can get away with uh, sort of going in between those two. I think it has to be over that 31.7 mark. And I can't imagine it's not there right now. Um, if it's not, then, you know, th this is uh, squarely on the 49ers. You know, usually in these things, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit here and a little bit there. Um, but, um, I, I have to believe that that APY, uh, must be over 31.7, uh, in order to get this deal done. And if it's not, I, I gotta, I gotta side with, uh, with Bosa on this one, um, because, uh, he deserves to be, and it's his time in the order. His contract's up. Um, I don't know how long it will last, but he deserves to be the highest paid, defensive player, the highest paid non-quarterback, uh, given what he was able to do last year. He was the best defensive player in the league. He was the best player on the 49ers. Uh, so it, to me, it seems simple. I know that there's, I'm sure there's language and this, that, and the other that we don't know about right now that's complicating things. But um, I think at the end of the day, it has to be above that 31.7 number. 
Yeah, and, and Tim Kay actually put out a piece earlier this morning, and, and along with it, he he tweeted out, um, you know, if the 49ers ultimately aren't willing to meet Bosa's number, what exactly are they doing? And and so, like, let's let's talk about that for a second, because worst case scenario, like, do we see getting to a point where Bosa and his agent are unwilling to compromise and come off that 31.7 API, APY number? Um, and I don't know if, if the 49ers are also unwilling to meet that number as well. Um, like if there is a deadline for this, I mean, we're already like at week one. So all the soft deadlines are out the window. Um, I'm kind of thinking like week four, maybe, I don't know. I I know John Lynch told the media that they wouldn't trade Bosa, but if the two sides are, are so firm and so dug in their heels, could there potentially be the thought of, of trading Bosa at some point? I don't think so. I mean, I think uh, week one in Pittsburgh is going to go a long way to settling this. Um, you know, if the 49ers lose that game, you've got, you know, what just happened with Trey Lance. Um, you know, Jake Moody ha- is, has been a bit of, um, I just say, wobbly at this point. Um, and then you'd have Bosa to sort of cap it off. And if they have a, a loss in week one with all this talent on the team, with all this talent that's not even on the West coast right now. And Nick Bosa, um, I don't know. I, I just think that whatever the 49ers stance is at that point, it just collapses. Uh, they don't have a leg to stand on if they start out even on one. I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, the hysterics in this league um, are such that uh, even just one loss, even though they won, they lost week one last year and then obviously had a fantastic season. That's enough to really sort of uh, kind of send people um, in, into a tizzy. So, um, you know, it, but if they do win, then they could sort of make the argument, you know, we're winning without him. Let's just see how long uh, how long we can get away with it until um, he's the one that blinks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're playing a game of chicken and and someone's going to come out on top. The 49ers are hoping it's them. Nick Bosa, of course, I think there's good chances it, he'll probably be the one on top after it's all said and done. But going to that game week one, uh, 49ers edge depth behind Bosa is, you know, largely unproven, I'd say. Like, Clinton Farrell seemed to be improving with each week that he was with the 49ers, although we haven't quite seen it. Yet in a game, of course, Drake Jackson maybe poised for a second-year leap. But respectfully to those guys, I mean, there's a huge drop-off in talent from Bosa to those two. So Steve Wilkes may have to get creative out there. I mean, Wilkes, his defenses have historically been known for their high blitz rates. If the 49ers go into Pittsburgh without Bosa, I have to imagine like he's going to be dialing up a lot of blitzes to help generate some pressure. Yeah, I agree. And that, that sort of changes who the 49ers have been in recent seasons. They, they've been a team that hasn't really had to blitz a lot. Um, you know, Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw are fantastic in coverage. You want them sort of clogging up the, the center of the field uh, like they do so well. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, even if Nick Bosa were in camp, I don't know how strongly you can make the argument that that defensive end spot has improved from last year you, you can definitely make the argument that defensive tackle has Javon Hargrave I think Javon Hargrave is gonna 
make Eric Armstead um, so much better. Armstead's, you know, healthier than he was at this point last year. I think the center of that line is is going to be significantly improved from 2022. And, however, I, I don't know. You had Samson Ebucom last year. Um, you had um, uh, Jordan Willis. You had Charles Menehue. Um, I don't know if the current group, uh, Farrell and um, Drake Jackson, is significantly better than that group from last year. And, it, and it's certainly not when, when you subtract Nick Bosa from the equation. Uh, so, um, you know, you'd be, um, you'd be casting your lot to begin the season with a guy in Farrell who's never had more than 4.5 sacks in, in a year and a guy in Jackson who's still all about his potential. Uh, a guy that they took off the field last year because he ran out of steam. Uh, and I think he's addressed that, but it's still a leap of faith with him. Um, so it's it's a big, uh, you know, there's a lot riding on this season. There's a lot of high expectations. Uh, that wouldn't be a very good position on the team, minus Nick Bosa. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I, I think the edge concerns already existed before all of this with Nick Bosa really uh, went this far. And, you know, 49er fans, we're a bit scarred from the 49ers being unwilling to negotiate with the four, DeForest Buckner, which is why I asked you about, you know, the potential of Bosa being traded. And I, I also don't think we're at that point yet, so that's good. The team is probably even more strapped for cash now than they were then. And they're still projected to be over the cap in 2024. And so like with each contract, it just seems increasingly clear that, you know, the 49ers can't keep everybody. And like this regime started with the mantra brick by brick. And now they're, they're sort of playing Jenga to (laughs) see if they can move some of those foundational pieces around, you know, get creative with the way that they structure and stagger these extensions and, you know, keep it all together in the process. So, like, given their cap situation, could you see the 49ers at some point, maybe not as soon as this year, but next year or two years down the line, moving on from some star players? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I, I think that's going to be what their argument is for trying to keep this Bosa number as low as possible, is that we want to keep, you know, as much as this core together as we can, uh, I can't imagine that this is a surprise to them, though. Uh, right. You know, John Lynch has been saying for for two seasons now. You know, we 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 know this is coming. We've got it accounted for. We're going to take care of of Nick Bosa now. When it's come down to the negotiation, um, it's not quite as as simple as that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and, and there are lots of guys that you can point to. Um, George Kittle, Eric Armstead, Debo Samuel. These are these are all players whose contracts were drawn up in such a way that, um, you know, they kicked the can down the road a bit uh, for a little while. But at some point, the, the, the chickens come home to roost, to use yet another cliche here. <laughs> so, um, yes, I, I don't know how they're going to juggle it all together when, when this, this Bosa deal is, uh, is accounted for. Um, and I do think that somebody, um, you know, one of these core players, one of these faces that we're so familiar with uh, is going to be gone in coming seasons. And I think I don't know who that's going to be. And I think right. 2023 is going to kind of write that script. Um, you know, who, who's injured? Who kind of falls off? Does Brandon Ayuk turn into a superstar? 
Um, all, all of those things I think will be answered by the end of the season. Uh, we just need to play these 17 games. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think the answer is really out there yet. There's some players who you can kind of circle for now and kind of think hmm, they, they might not be here in a couple of years. Like I think like George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, Eric Armstead, even I think this year is when his contract really escalated quite a bit. And, you know, certainly going into next year as well. I mean, you got to think about Ayuk. Um, and as 49ers throwback says, Hufunga will be next after 2024. So, I mean, they, they have quite a challenge in, in front of them, but to this point, they've been pretty creative. Now, I know the Nick Bosa deal is, you know, supposed to set a new precedent as far as the contracts they've done in the past. So it, it might be very unique in that sense, but I still feel like they can get creative and, and get it done. So again, like I, I also don't know what's really the, the holdup at this point, but hopefully they can get it done soon. Quick reminder, those tuning in, make sure you give this video a thumbs up. If you have not yet, if we have some time to spare at the end, I will look at questions in the comments. So if you have any questions for Matt, just throw them in the comments, but Matt, so the 49ers announced their 53 man roster a week ago um, with most of the starters, like, pretty much being set most of the competition and surprises came from the depth and some players that some fans considered as bubble players. The biggest one I think for most fans was Nick Zakel and you know, the 49ers drafted him in the sixth round of last year's draft envisioned him mostly as a center early on this off season. I think he worked exclusively at guard. Right. And so he, he did seem to struggle there through camp and the preseason. He was responsible for five holding penalties and so because of all this, I think fans were thinking, you know, he probably wouldn't make the roster, but clearly the 49ers do see something in Nick Zakel that maybe the rest of us don't see. Um, and so, like, what what do you think that might be with Zakel that maybe fans are missing and, and what are the long-term plans for him maybe? Well, I mean, I think it, it just kind of goes to the state of offensive lines across the NFL is that um, – you know, you you talk to Chris Furster, and he's just so underwhelmed by the caliber of offensive linemen that the college game is is producing. So he realizes that it, it takes time to develop these guys, and um, that they, they obviously believe that Zakel has potential. Um, you know, uh, you know, early on last year, I thought that Jason Poe just outplayed him. He was he was mm -hmm. the better prospect. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I do think that we have to tr trust Furster, offensive line coach, his whole life. Um, he kind of saw the uh, potential in, in Jake Brendel. He saw Spencer Burford as, as potential. He saw Aaron Banks. Um, and um, all of those, uh, those projects came to fruition last year. So uh, he's earned a little bit of trust, I think. In, in what he sees in these guys. But um, Zakel did play a little center this year, didn't didn't play a lot, didn't play it in the preseason games uh, very much, but he did practice there. And that's what I think that they have in mind for him, that he's sort of this, uh, this Daniel Brunskill moving forward. They've got uh, John Feliciano this year as the, as the top backup at center and at guard. I think that's what they want Zakel to be next year. Feliciano's on a, on a one-year deal. Um, he's getting up there in age. He didn't look all that great either. 
so I think the idea with Zakel is that he slides into that first guy off the bench role if there's an injury at center or guard next year. And that they couldn't, I mean, and, and I agree that there's not really a, a role in week one for him. He's going to be inactive on game days, but, you know, the, the risk in um, trying to get him to the practice squad, you saw, you know, you saw Poe gets uh, snapped up. You saw Il Manning get snapped up. The, the, the risk might've been too great for the 49ers uh, to, to lose him after they spent two off seasons trying to develop this guy. So um, that that's what he is. Maybe the best way to put it is uh, first or work with Jake Brendel for a couple of years in Miami. Um, you know, he came into the league as a very unheralded guy. Um, he he sees Zakel as the future um, Jake Brendel. Yeah, and I know it doesn't make sense right now, but I think the 49ers really were going with what he could be in the future. And I think just looking, you mentioned Jason Poe and Il Manning, both of those guys a little undersized, right? And so their potential is probably capped based on that. And and Zakel, more of the prototypical, you know, guy that they, they feel they can obviously work with. And to your point about them being able to develop some guys, look at Jalen Moore. I mean, yeah, I think a, a lot of us had, you know, higher expectations for Jalen Moore based on where he was drafted. You know, last year he definitely struggled this year in camp and also in the preseason, I thought he was starting to come along pretty well. So to your point, sometimes it does take some guys some time to, to develop. And also Colton McKivitz, he's, he's been around, you know, this offensive line for quite a bit, more of a depth piece. Right. But now he's, he's, you know, plugged in as the starter. So I think, that's probably what they had in mind for Zakel. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to trust Chris Forrester on this one. It does hurt to lose some guys who you think, you know, they play well in the preseason, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not much that's going to hurt the team much going forward. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a great insight, but um, Matt, so last week, uh, in the presser, Kyle Shanahan and Matt Mayoko got into a bit of a back and forth after Kyle was asked about Jimmy Garoppolo's comments on the Trey Lance situation. And Kyle seemed to take issue with the word weird in particular being used in relation to the 49ers quarterback situations throughout the years. Oh, I mean, like we've seen plenty of Kyle Shanahan pressers at this point. You, you know, you're usually front and center for those. Um, and I think like we as fans, we've all noticed that anytime like decisions are questioned there is a bit of like defensiveness and you know sensitivity there like why do you think that is and and like how do you navigate that as a journalist when you're trying to you know ask questions and and gather information for your stories oh I mean I think that's part of the story I mean if, if he gets defensive over quarterback uh moves and by the way that's that's one line of questioning he's he's pretty easygoing um, and I, I found him to be good to cover because the questions that are asked, he usually gives a very honest answer. Um, and you learn a lot from his answers. I mean, compared to other, you know, previous coaches, um, it's been, you know, that, that part of it has been good from a journalism standpoint, but the one area that he does get really prickly about is when you, you know, question quarterback decisions. And that this goes back to, you know, for a while now. I remember last year 
uh, after that Chicago game, um, you know, Trey Lance ran the ball a bunch and yeah. coming off the, the, you know, the rookie season where he had run it a couple of times and, and gotten hurt. And, uh, you know, the questions were, why are you running Trey Lance up the middle so much? And he got very uptight over that. And then lo and behold, the, the following week, he gets hurt in, in the first quarter. So I think it's all valuable. Um, it, it, that, that, that exchange was strange. Uh, 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 Shanahan seemed to acknowledge that the situation was strange, but not weird. <laughs> it seemed like synonyms. So yeah. I don't know. He, he, I think he just wanted to, didn't want to sort of acquiesce to uh, the, the line of questioning. But no question that it's been odd. And, and I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo's answers were all that you know, uh, shouldn't have, have ruffled any feathers. It, it, it has been weird. Yeah. Uh, Garoppolo was just kind of stating the obvious and he was doing it in a very pleasant way too. So I'm, I'm not sure why that, um, that picked up the steam that it did. Um, he answered that as politically as he possibly could have, and yet it still kind of made the rounds as a, as a thing. Um, I, I give uh, Garoppolo credit for, you know, being um, a- as good a soldier as he was through all yeah. that. I mean, here's a guy that had just come off a Super Bowl season, had started 19 games in 2019, um, had led the team to the Super Bowl. Yeah, they fell short. And yeah, he didn't have the greatest game. But almost immediately, he has to deal with them looking at Tom Brady. And then it was just a series of guys from that point forth, Trey Lance, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, Matthew Stafford, you name it. Uh, it was clear that Shanahan and the 49ers were trying to replace Jimmy Garoppolo the whole way. So uh, not going to be okay with it. You don't want him to be okay with it. Uh, right. So uh, I don't know, but to me, he handled that with a plum. I think, I think that's why it, it probably got a lot of attention because like Jimmy Garoppolo has been kind of, you know, quiet and has kind of rolled with the punches, even despite being in this weird. And he's also mentioned it, it was awkward when when they brought in Trey Lance. But he, when it was happening, I, I think he he handled it with a, a lot of grace, I would say. And so to hear his answers and you know maybe leaving a bit to the imagination, uh, because he kind of just said, "I'll I'll leave it at that." Um, I think you know, it kind of intrigued all of us a bit to like, Oh, like, what, what do you mean by that? You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. And he was, he was in these situations himself. He has firsthand experience on what he considers to be weird. So I think um, it's not just us. Uh, <laughs> so it, it validated, I think all of us and, and how we felt about the situation. And also I'm, I'm sure maybe with some time, we'll get a little more, information you know from Jimmy Garoppolo maybe he will say a little more one day maybe Trey Lance may open up a little more one day but yeah the the 49ers I guess have been fortunate that those guys have both handled the situation as well as they did yeah and I think that I mean you, you go back to their evaluation of Trey Lance and why he was the number three overall pick I think you know there were two things that they concluded that this guy kind of physically was going to, you know, give them an edge. Um, And then sort of mentally and spiritually, he was the type of guy that, you know, you want leading your team. People really like him. He's smart. He's, he's good in front of the media, et cetera, et cetera. I think that they, 
they hit a home run on that second part. I mean, and, and you kind of see that from, from his reaction and uh, you know, what he's been saying and in, in Dallas and whatnot, uh, very likable. Um, I think the leadership qualities were, you know, out of this world. So um, all that was a hundred percent for the 49ers. The other part of it though, you know, uh, I, I think when it all comes out, it, it's going to be that they were, surprised that he wasn't as um physically imposing i think he he ends up being a little bit smaller uh, lankier than than they thought he was um he wasn't as fast as they thought he was he wasn't as good a runner as they thought he was so i i think there were some misses there and i mean uh i think longtime scouts will say well that's just scouting 101 he's going up against Illinois State and James Madison, and he's going to seem uh, bigger and faster, stronger than he actually is. Uh, and and I, and I wrote a story about this. It was, it was uh, a, a rough year to take a, a swing on a guy like that because yeah. COVID really prevented them from getting their hands on him, from working him out, from going to dinner with him, from doing all the things that you would normally do in a season and, and maybe kind of seeing some of the things that um, the film was, um, I don't want to say tricking you, but, um, you know, that, that should have been a bigger, you know, this is all hindsight, of course, right. but that, that <laughs> should have been a bigger caveat to them that, okay, he's going against this lower caliber competition. How can we convince ourselves that what we're seeing is actually accurate? Yeah. And I, I think that's why like so many people think that, you know, the mistake wasn't so much drafting Trey Lance, but maybe moving up to three in the first place when you didn't have a particular quarterback in mind when you made that move. Um, do you feel like there was a sense of panic maybe from the 49ers side? Like they had just lost out on Matthew Stafford, who who they, you know, well reported was that they went after him. Uh, things fell apart with the Sean Watson thing as well, who they, you know, inquired on. So do you think like after losing out on both of those guys, they felt like they needed to make a big swing at quarterback to, you know, finally try to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that that's been the subtext of, of everything. They're trying to move on from Garoppolo. Um, Brady isn't the right answer. You know, Matthew Stafford doesn't come over. So they've got to figure out something to do there. Um, so they've got this 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 high pick at twelve. I mean, that's a high pick. Um, and uh, at some point, you know, to me, and, and this is just my conjecture, um, that they would have been fine with taking um, Mac Jones at twelve, but they thought, why don't we, you know, get somebody better? why don't we see whether we can kind of uh, move up and take the best guy after the first two, Zach Wilson and, and Trevor Lawrence. Um, and uh, I, I feel like they sort of kind of talked themselves into to Lance at that point that instead of going for, um, you know, uh, a batter who hits singles, why don't we go for a batter who hits singles and home runs? And like I said, I think that, uh, you know, watching him for that season, at North Dakota State, um, I don't know what the right word is, but they were able to kind of see things in him that maybe 
weren't actually there. They wanted it so bad to happen that they invented a guy that maybe didn't exist. And, you know, going, like I said, going back and looking at it, he had one season. That's yeah. a, that's a very, very small amount of games at a lower level conference to shove all your chips to the center of the table and bet on that guy. So, I mean, like I said, uh, this is all kind of hindsight being 2020, but I think it's necessary to kind of look at what the mistake was uh, because obviously it's a mistake. Two and a half years later, they, they got rid of him for a fourth round pick. Do you think there was like any like internal pressure that maybe like some people weren't all sold on Trey Lance either? Like clearly, I mean, the, the 49ers brass were, you know, convicted on him or, you know, they, they drafted him and gave up so much for him, but you know, maybe some other guys could see right away that, eh, I don't know, I'm not really buying what you're selling here. He doesn't look like the guy you told us he was going to be maybe a little bit sooner than like the 49ers brass figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I've got to think that's the case. I mean, the the conclusion that they reached on him seems to be so rapid that, I mean, two and a half years later, he's gone for a fourth. Um, I mean, if, if they truly believe that he was still going to be great at some point. I don't, I don't know whether they would have um, said goodbye to him um, so quickly. So yeah, I think there probably are people in the organization that um, saw it right away. Maybe it's Shanahan too. I mean, um, he, he's not somebody who, you know, makes a mistake and then kind of lingers on it. Remember he was the Dante right. Pettis backer back in 2018. He's the one that pushed for Pettis in the second round. That was a that was higher than everybody thought Pettis was going to go, and it was Shanahan who soured on him quickly too. So this is this is a Shanahan um, sequence that we've seen before, and you know, good on him for not kind of letting a, a bad pick fester. But this is this is a this isn't a second rounder. This is multiple first rounders and a quarterback and everything that comes with it. So it's a pretty big whiff. Yeah, it, it is. And like, that's why so, there's some people who are like, they should be on the hot seat. I don't think that's true because usually when people whiff like that, they're also losing games or as a result of the whiff. But the 49ers aren't there, at least not yet. So I think it makes sense. But going back to like Kyle Shanahan, maybe being a bit short sighted, his quarterback rooms have been a bit of a like flavor of the month <laughs> kind of thing. And, you know, he sours on guys quickly or like he falls in love with the next new thing. Right. And so it, right now it appears that the 49ers are all in on Purdy. Um, but do you think it's fair to wonder, you know, like maybe is this a repeat of a Jimmy Garoppolo situation where, you know, luckily the 49ers don't have to make a decision on paying Brock Purdy right now, but they're kind of anointing him as like, this is our franchise quarterback guys, like, you know, rally behind him, much like they did with Jimmy Garoppolo after, you know, just five games. So kind of similar situation and some parallels there. Like, do you, do you feel like this could potentially be a repeat of that situation? Why do you think like Brock Purdy is maybe different? Well, it's a great point because it's not just Garoppolo that they made a big decision on after a few games. It's Trey Lance that they made yeah. the decision on after a few games at North Dakota State. So you're right. This um, this pattern is is happening over and over again. And um, yeah, they made a big decision. Well, I guess it's not a big decision. They've made a decision on 
Purdy to be the starter this year based on eight starts last year. Um, and I talked to uh, Shanahan about this for the story I just wrote on Purdy, and he went back and uh, rewatched many, many times. I mean, he had he had a, a feeling about Purdy coming out of the season, and he wanted to make sure that 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 feeling he had was accurate. And so he went back and he kind of scrutinized each of those games, and um, he was reassured that 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 uh, emotion that he had was correct. And, um, you know, and, and you can see why, um, it's different than Garoppolo. Um, Purdy is locked into everything. Purdy is like an extension of Shanahan, uh, which is what Shanahan has always wanted, by the way. (laughs) I think it's why, you know, he and Kirk Cousins are, are such a duo. Um, because um, it's it's sort of the mental connection that they have. And to his credit, Purdy is really kind of mentally wired differently than everybody else. And we saw that in the Miami game where he comes in and there's no drop off um, timing wise. Jim, that that offense was humming at that point of the season. And um, you think, oh, boy, rookie's going to come in. You're going to see this this offense um, sputter a bit. It didn't at all. Um, and, and actually, and so I wrote this whole story about the Seattle game where Purdy was injured and they weren't sure he was going to start. And this was like minutes before the game that they didn't know. They were literally walking onto the field when Purdy decided, you know what, I, I can go. Um, and that was a, a real turning point for Brian Greasy as far as becoming a believer in Purdy. And I asked Shanahan the same thing. Is that is that the game where you really believed in Brock Purdy, and he said, no, it was the Miami game uh, because of what I just described. Like, oh, yeah. oh crap, the season's over. The offense is going to fall apart, and it didn't. Um, and that told Shanahan that this guy has something special. And it was just reaffirmed you know, each of the following weeks uh, for the rest of the season. Um, but, I mean, uh, again, your, your point is well taken that it's not a huge amount of games that – Shanahan is using to make these big decisions. I guess like, and, and I, I do have to acknowledge your, your piece that, that you wrote, it came out this weekend. So if you guys haven't checked it out yet, it's titled the night Brock Purdy convinced the 49ers, he should be their 2023 starter. It is a, a really great piece. And so it was pretty insightful uh, that that was kind of a turning point for greasy, but I kind of wonder if like, the fact that they were so impressed by Brock Purdy, you know, showing that grit and and wanting to play in that Seattle game. Did some of that, them being impressed, maybe have to do with what they had dealt with, like Jimmy Garoppolo, because he was sort of the opposite in the fact that like they've, you know, they dealt with his injuries and they always had to, you know, pivot and find a plan B at the 11th hour. And here's Purdy's like, Hey guys, I think I could actually play play through this. Um, like, do you do you feel like maybe that you know heightened their appreciation for that moment? Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't I can't argue with that uh, hypothesis. Um, you know, and I think it was it wasn't just the grit and the toughness. It was like I keep saying, it was sort of the mental ability to handle it all. He was he was so calm. I mean, think of everything that's going on there. First ever road game. It's in Seattle. He's got a broken rib. It's a short week. And then on top of it all, he, he feels this, um, this tremendous burden 
to kind of keep going what the 49ers had had built at that point. Um, and he's very cognizant of the fact that, you know, Kittle is a few lockers away. McCaffrey is a few lockers away. Trent Williams is a few lockers away. And, you know, all these veterans that he loves and respect, all, all that responsibility is now on him. And so he doesn't, he doesn't even practice that way. He doesn't even throw a pass and goes out for warmups and can't, he can't throw um, during warmups. And, you know, that would just, you know, collapse a regular person. Even like a 12-year veteran would just fold into that situation. And Purdy somehow was able to compartmentalize everything and, and have a, a good game. I mean, it wasn't, the stats aren't, astounding but the fact that he was able to a go out there and do it and and do it all with that sense of calm in seattle um i think that just impressed the hell out of greasy and and i should note that i think greasy was a really good resource um for purdy especially in that game because you, you got a quarterback coach and the quarterback coach usually is in the role of sort of being the um you know the parent um you know, in those situations. And so, you know, Greasy was trying to read Purdy and, you know, they had to make a decision at some point, whether to go with Purdy or with Josh Johnson. Um, And I think, you know, uh, any other quarterback's coach would have done the same thing, been very kind of um, uh, accommodating and sympathetic. But what Greasy gave you was somebody who's been through it all before who's played injured who had that pain blocker who knows how okay maybe if you get the pain blocker before the game you're going to start to feel better um i think the advice that greasy gave him that week ended up being good advice and i think it was something that purdy really leaned on heavily yeah i mean yeah it it is very incredible what what brock purdy was able to do and the the amount of pressure that that he was under to finish out the season like he did um you know some people say you know he really didn't have that much pressure because he was the last pick in the draft no one expected him to be good but like once he started winning games and 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 looking good i think the pressure just grew with each week and so there's people who think you know there's a ton of pressure on Brock Purdy going into this season given you know everything that's happened this off season you know, them, them trading Trey Lance, moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo. There's really no safety net like like there was in the past for for Brock Purdy. And also right now, Nick Bosa not potentially not playing for week one. That's a lot of pressure, too, because you got to go into a tough environment in Pittsburgh and, you know, put up points potentially. Also, Jake Moody as well. Like you might not have your your starting kicker. Right. Or he might not be 100 percent. So. I think there is a lot of pressure on Brock Purdy, but at the same time, I don't think he feels it. Like he, it, based on everything we've seen last year, it it doesn't seem like he's a guy that that really soaks the pressure in. I think he's just very sure of himself in every moment. Yeah, no, he manages it well. I mean, I, I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. I don't think he ever kind of thought of himself as Mister Irrelevant or you know lucky to be here. Um, I think he always expected this and and a lot of these guys do and, and they don't, they're not able to step up and, and, and he was, and I can't tell you how many quarterbacks I've covered and, you know, read about 
um, over the years who were, you know, billed as the, 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 the next Drew Brees. That was like for years and years, Drew Brees, you know, allowed these sort of undersized, unathletic guys into this league on, on, the, on the hope that, okay, maybe we've got the next Drew Brees here. Um, Purdy's been the, the closest thing to it and we're not, we're not there yet. Um, I don't want to, um, make that comparison yet, but he's at least, um, the wiring, I think the brain wiring is the most similar that I've seen, uh, of, of anybody that I've covered. I mean, even Willie Sneed, who, you know, played with Drew Brees, said there's some characteristics that, you know, they kind of have the the same. So I could definitely see it. I've seen people even say, like, oh, without the arm, not not talking about the arm, there's some similarities to Patrick Mahomes even and how he plays this kind of backyard football style when things break down and he can make plays happen. So there's a lot of there's a lot of lofty comparisons for yes. Purdy out there. <laughs> But I think it's because of what he's been able to do so far. Um, it, it just says a lot, I guess, about what we've been able to see in just such short amount of time. So I don't blame the 49ers for having the amount of confidence in him that they do. And so hopefully it, it works out, right? But uh, I, I think it seems like they got a good one. And I feel like this is more than just flavor of the month for Kyle Shanahan. I think so too. I mean, and if they're right, I mean, imagine what the contract stuff is going to be two years from now, when when we're talking when he's eligible. I don't to want to think about that yet. Contract. <laughs> I, mean, I don't One know if that's going into the Nicosia calculus right now yeah. uh, or not, but it, it should uh, because that's that's a possibility. Uh, he can't. Let's see. He was a 2022 draft pick. That means. 22, 23, 24. So after next season is when it could happen. Yeah, that's certainly a good point. And I'm sure the 49ers, who they have to think of everything and they have to think ahead, I'm sure that's something that has crossed their mind and something they're, you know, they're they're keeping in mind through all that all this. Who knows? Maybe, maybe that's the sticking point <laughs> that we don't know about. Um, but Matt, thank you for joining me today. Like I really appreciate it. Uh, for those of you guys that tuned in, make sure you like this video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the channel if you have not yet. Make sure you guys follow Matt on X, formerly known as Twitter at Matt Barrows. Subscribe to The Athletic. Stop complaining about the damn paywall, okay? It's a dollar a month. Support good journalism. It's definitely, definitely worth it. Um, guys, I'll be live again tomorrow to, to preview week one with John Chapman and Wayne Breezy. Um, but Matt, again, thank you for, for joining me today. Uh, you're very welcome. Uh, great questions. Uh, great conversation. And again, I'm very sorry that I was um, 65 minutes late for... Our appointment. You're you're forgiven because you knew the exact uh, number of minutes. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. <laughs> no, this well, is I hope your air conditioning is back on too. Uh not not quite yet, but I'll I'll check on that after this. But yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you guys for tuning in for now. Have a good rest of your Tuesday, folks. Peace.